So the uh, elders of Christ the King were so gracious and asked me um, to lead out in the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God this morning. Uh, so it's a, it's a really weighty thing, and uh, I'm sure the nerves, the Lord will handle that as we go on, but uh, this is just such a holy moment, such a holy time before such a beautiful congregation of God's people, His saints, and it's it's an honor to just be before you guys and just expound upon the Word of God. Uh, anything good that comes out, any edification that comes out, it's going to be God. It's going to be the mighty Holy One who made the heavens and the earth. Um, so, so it's nothing out of me that's going to be good, but it's all going to be from God's Spirit. So we're going to be looking at the, uh, the Psalter today. We, we ended First Peter. We were in it in Basswood for quite some months, and then we continued on in Christ the King. We planted August 15th last year, and we, we finished up First Peter uh, last week, and now we're about to enter in next week into Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament, and the glories that, that God displays in his word there. Um, but there's a little break, and, and again, I'm going to be going to the Psalter, and I think it's, it's fitting because this this body of believers here um, loves to, to sing out of the Psalter. They love to, to sing the Psalms, They're the praises of, of God. So the Psalter is um, fundamentally the, the hymn book of God's people. And that's how we've been using it. it it's full of, of songs and full of prayers, too. Um, I just love the Psalms. Every single morning, I'll wake up and I'll seek the face of the Lord with a psalm because it, it, it allows me to incline my heart to his testimonies. They're so full of, of beauty and glory. And I would encourage all of you too, as you wake up, to incline your hearts to the testimonies of God with, with a psalm. Um, the psalms have been compiled into five books that make up the Psalter. It's kind of its own canon within itself. Uh, j just like in the Council of Nicaea, they, they compiled the books of Scripture into one book that we call the Bible. Uh, there were a bunch of just psalms and songs that David and Asaph and, and even Solomon and a bunch of others have, have wrote and, and sung to the Lord, and, and, and they've been compiled. And they broke them up in five kind of books. Uh, the first book is Psalm 1 through 41, and, and that's where we'll be in, in the 19th Psalm this morning, kind of just going through it and, and opening up the, the glories of God. So what I, want, what I want you all, church, to really be keeping before you this morning as we're going through the 19th Psalm is that this Psalm of David has three main sections to it. And I think most of your Bibles will kind of have that out there with, with the spacing. But the first section is going to be the testimony or the revelation of God in his creative works. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? The second section is going to be the testimony or revelation of God in his law or, or his Torah or his instruction or his word, right? And then lastly, the testimony of God in his grace and mercy to justify and save. So we'll... We'll, we'll keep that before us as we're going through. There are these three sections that are um, here in the 19th Psalm. So let's read it. 
and see what the Lord has for us this morning. So it's to the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord, Yahweh, is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord, Yahweh, is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, Yahweh, are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord, Yahweh, is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord, Yahweh, is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord, Yahweh, are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. Let us pray. Great Father in heaven, you are the maker of the heavens and the earth. You are God Almighty. You are the just judge of the universe. You are the maker of snowflakes. You are the maker of every blade of grass, every hair on our head, every follicle of skin, every creeping thing. You are the maker and creator of all. You are the giver of all authority. Every single position of authority, from father to teacher to elder to president to king to governor, you have put in place. Lord, we need you this morning. We need to hear from you, Father. You have written your word through holy men and we need to hear what you have to say and to show us. God, would you incline our hearts to your testimony now? Would you open all of our eyes, even the children, God, open our eyes to see wondrous things out of your law and unite our heart to fear your name. Satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love. God, we trust you and depend on you now for our hearing, for our preaching, for our praise and our, for our worship during this hour. Be with us, Spirit, God, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. How am I doing? Is it too loud? Is it good? Okay, good. So let's go through the psalm here and 
see the glory of God. So the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, that, that word glory has to do with weightiness. It has to do with substance, splendor, and honor. Um, a lot of times we are watching a sports game and we'll see a, an amazing shot or an amazing throw or something like that and, and then we'll see someone kind of point up to this guy. Maybe they'll even do the sign of the cross or something like that. And it's like, oh, that guy's giving glory to God. And perhaps they are. Um, but I think glory, sometimes we think of it as we're giving credit to God. I think it has something to do with that. But much more than that, too. It's, it's all that God is. It's, it's the very substance of, of who he is. It's it, it, in olden times, it had to do a lot with um, the heaviness and the weight. When you think of a, a scale, the balances, you, you know, you something that was valuable, you would need to really have the weight to pay for that item. So it has to do with the substance, the value, the the weightiness of of the thing. And in this case, God Almighty. Um, so the heavens declare that declare the very nature, the substance of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's, it's that word, the sky, the same as in Genesis, the expanse or the firmament in Genesis. So when you look up at the sky, when you look up at the heavens, and I believe those words are being used very similarly here. It, it, it's, you, you look out in, in the skies, the heavens, not necessarily talking about the abode of God, but you, you, you look out at the starry sky and the moon and the sun and the, and, and the stars and even the shooting stars and the sunsets. I'm so excited when the Bergmans are gonna have their house already. We'll sit out in the back and just watch that sunset over the mountains. Uh, it's declaring something, it, it really is. It's proclaiming something. So we, we as image bearers of God, like the sun, like the stars, like the heavens, like the sky, we also need to be declaring. We are declaring and proclaiming things about God. Let's make sure that we're declaring rightly. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Beloved, all things proclaim his glory. I mean, it's just amazing as I have gone forward in this journey with Christ. You see, you see a little baby born? I'm so bad, sorry guys. You see a baby born? That's the glory of God. I mean, the eye, you look at the, the flowers, Jesus pointed to Look at the birds of the sky. Look at the, 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 the lilies, the wildflowers. Why am I crying? I don't know. <laughs> um, it's a beautiful thing. It brings me to tears. Um, <clears throat> and he said, even if these do not cry out, the stones will cry out. Everything in the Old Testament that you see, they were all shadows, foreshadowing. It, God has created every single thing. He's created the days, the order of the days, the nights, the sky, the moon, the stars, the grass, the human eye. It all points towards God. 
every, every single uh, shadow in the Old Testament, the candles, the, the showbread, every, the, the lamb, the sacrifice, it all pointed towards God. It all points towards God and, and Christ. So day-to-day pours out speech. Colossians say, says that all things were created through him and for him. I've been memorizing uh, Colossians, and it's just what a wonderful epistle. Uh, Lisa and Naomi are way far ahead of me. They've, they've set out to, to memorize it all by September 1st, and they're on track. Uh, I think I'm a month behind, but it is, it's amazing um, that when you think about all things were created by him and through him and for him and to him. Uh, so, so it doesn't surprise us, it shouldn't surprise us that there's speech, there's declaration coming out from the heavens, from the stones, from the mountains. Now it says here in verse 3, There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. I know a lot of the men have the Legacy Standard Bible, and some of you, like Wendell, um, have the New American Standard Bible. Uh, it was interesting because not until Friday evening did I notice that there was a difference here in the translations, but about half the translations out there uh, translate it quite different. Um, so I, I'm using the ESV, the English Standard Version, and, and that's where it says, there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. But the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible, or the NASB, um, or the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, will say, there is no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard. So that, that change of word from whose to their, it actually makes it have complete opposite meanings. <laughs> so it's like, which, what are we to do with that? And I think, um, Brother Chris and, and Daniel are kind of helping me out with that a little bit. Uh, Calvin had some notes on that, and apparently Hebrew is just a really tough language to translate into English. <laughs> uh, so, and I don't know Hebrew. Becky's teaching me a little bit of Greek, and uh, uh, but but Hebrew I have no clue. So I'm I'm relying on these scholarly uh, men and, and their knowledge of Hebrew. But um, a lot of times you you must insert a word there. Uh, so, so the most natural translation, word for word, I think the NASB and the Legacy Standard Bible and the, and the CSB are trying to do that here. And they're saying, there is no speech nor are there words. Voice is not heard. There is no voice heard. Um, whereas the ESV and the King James Version and the New King James Version and the NIV 1984 copyright says, there is no speech nor are there words. And they insert whose voice is not heard. So. It definitely fits the context of what we're looking at here a lot more, a lot e- more easily, the way the ESV and the KJV translate it, because it just talked right before how the heavens are declaring, the skies are proclaiming, each day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. Um, so, so there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard, or positively stated. Speech and words, they are heard. So I, I, I think what we can remember here as was saying, the only obstacle in getting the gospel out there that God has ordained is language. 
I mean, it, we have to try to translate the scriptures, the word of God. We have to be able to speak to them in their own heart language for them to understand. Um, but the voice and the speech, the type of speech, that is not a human language, but there is speech here. There are words that are spoken from creation. And all of us, no matter what human language we speak, hear that, can see that. That is communicated to us. We get it. We see the heavens. We see the starry sky. We see the beautiful. Now, you don't get this if you live down in Florida, maybe, but you get the seasons. You get to see the, the changing leaves. Oh, I love it. I'm so excited for when October rolls around and you get to see the colors in the mountains. Uh, you get to see how there is a design to this. I mean, the human eye alone is so complex. So there is speech that's happening. But now we'll see, though, it, it's, it's different, though, than the gospel. It is showing and is revealing God but it's not going all the way and specifically conveying the gospel. Um, so in verse 4, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The heavens, the skies, the days, the nights, the mountains, all of God's creative works, their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of, of the world. Shouldn't we as his image bearers be declaring and proclaiming and pouring out speech everywhere. We do it here really well and praise God. We, we love singing the songs, singing the psalms, singing the hymns of, of our great God and Savior. We love, well, maybe it's just me saying the amens and the hallelujahs. We, we love talking about God when the service is over. But I notice this in my life sometimes. I'll be so pumped and enthused and exulting in God and singing songs to him, shedding tears for him during the worship service. Later that afternoon, I'm out at the store. I'm not proclaiming anymore. I'm not declaring anymore. It's like, am I being consistent? Is, is it just a show for Sunday morning or is it a deep, heartfelt, genuine praise that comes out that I can't help. Let us be examining, are we good at proclaiming the glory of God on Sunday morning, but then on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday at our jobs or at the store or at the park, are we remaining silent? We need to be declaring the glory of God and proclaiming the excellencies of Christ everywhere. So in verse 4, their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. If that sounds familiar, it is used by Paul in Romans 10. So if you want to turn over there in Romans 10. Right after Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans, the first epistle, the first letter that Paul wrote, Romans 10, and then I'm going to start in verse 14. So Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in 
him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ or of God. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For, now quoting Psalm 19, verse 4, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So when I, when I read in Psalm, I'm sorry, when I read in Romans 10, it's interesting because a natural reading, it's pretty plain. At least, who's there? Who, whose voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world? Well, it's the preachers, right? I mean, how can they call on him who they have not believed? And how can they believe on him who they've never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And then it says, well, have they not heard? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth. And I'm saying, Paul, is this, are you not understanding what Proverb, uh, what Psalm 19 was talking about. It wasn't talking about preachers of the gospel of Christ. It was talking about the heavens and the skies and the days and the nights. But we see this often. We see it often in the New Testament where writers are constantly going back to the Old Testament and bringing out in the Old Testament something to apply to the New Covenant and to these new realities in Christ. So then the next thought came to me. Well, but Paul, has all the earth and the ends of the world really heard the gospel? I mean, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you must have not read that. They've all heard already. That's what it says right here, right? Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Um, I looked at the date, how, how Romans is dated, and it's 57 A.D., and again, because the Lord has me memorizing Colossians, Colossians is dated 62 AD, so about five years later, right? And Paul says, uh, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. And then a little bit later on, he says, the gospel, the, the, you have heard the gospel of grace, which you have heard, which, is being, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So, in Paul's mind, who wrote both Romans and Colossians, yeah, the gospel had been preached to all the earth and to the ends of the world. He had, he had reached the whole known world at that point. So, but now as time has gone forth, uh, we have to continue, continue in that. And praise God for brothers and sisters who are in obedience, obeying that command to do that. So, so Paul is, is not uh, misquoting Psalm 19. Uh, he, he is using it for the purpose of the new covenant and the gospel of Christ. Um, the end of verse 4 here. In them he has sent, set a tent for the sun. So them being the heavens and the sky. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It all points to Christ, beloved. I mean, the, 
the son of righteousness, the S-U-N, son of righteousness, the bridegroom of the church. I mean, everything is consistently pointing to Christ. You can look at every single shadow in the, the Old Testament. You can look at every part of creation, and God has ordained it and designed it to point to his beloved son, Christ. Hallelujah. It's amazing. Um, its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So like the sun runs its course with joy, nothing can stop God's course, his purpose, his will. No one can thwart God's plan. As much as in, Rome, in, in Psalm 2, it says the nations rage, and, and they say, we're going to cast off their bonds and their cords. The Lord laughs. He holds them in derision. Nothing can thwart God's purpose as well. He is holy. He is the creator of all of these wicked rulers. They're trying to cut off the branch that they're sitting on. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Nothing can be hidden from God's presence and his power. I, I think it's in Psalm 139. It's like, where can I go? Where can I flee from your presence, O oh God? He is the Almighty. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. So, guys, going back to, uh, we need to be declaring the glory of God. We need to be proclaiming the glories of Christ. We need to be evangelizing, heralding the gospel. And we need to do it in such a way where it truly is heralding. I mean, the, the son doesn't try to sit there and in the wrong way gain common ground and beat around the but He just, the son proclaims God's light. The, the Lord Jesus says, I am the light of the world, right? And yet in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that we are the light of the world. Well, Christ in us is the light. We are the light. As the, I, I even think of it sometimes as the moon reflecting the sun. The, the, the moon has no... My wife would disagree with this. My, my, the moon has... <laughs> found it, flatter. Uh, the, the moon has no light in itself, but it reflects the, the light of the sun. We also, because we have Christ... That, brethren, that is what salvation is. It is Christ in us. It is the hope of glory residing and dwelling in us. And we are the light of the world because we have Christ. So we must, this is why we must be presuppositional in our kind of apologetic and in our evangelism. We can't, we can't take the Bible and, oh, you don't believe in the Bible? Okay, well, well I can't start with that then. Let's talk about what we do agree on here. No, this is true, guys. Amen. This is the word of God. That's right. <laughs> and you know what? The, the, the breath that your opponent is speaking out of, the eyes that he's looking at, that's God. You, you, you don't want to believe in God? Stop seeing, stop breathing, stop talking. It's all from him. You're borrowing it all from him. He's lending it to you graciously. You should be under his wrath a century ago, a millennia ago. And so should we, but for God's grace. But he has transferred us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. What a gracious God. 
There's so much joy in the fullness of his presence. So in our evangelism, in our proclaiming, in our declaring, let's do just that. Let's be proclaimers, heralders. That's, it's, it's like the, the newsboy proclaiming the news, you know? Heralding, hear ye, hear ye. The king says, that's what we must be doing. The world today is better evangelists than a lot of our church today. They're, they're evangelizing, they're proclaiming, they're declaring their religion. Think about the whole LGBTQ garbage and the, the critical race garbage and all this kind of stuff that's coming out from our world. It's such the minority. I mean, it's the minority of people and they have been loud about it. Come on, church. We have to be loud about our God. Amen. We have to be proclaiming him. We have to be declaring him, the goodness, because he is mighty to save, and he is a good God. Young ones, kids, you could be proclaiming Christ. You could be seeking him in the morning. You could be memorizing scripture. Amos, you want to quote Colossians real quick? <laughs> we have to be, even as young, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, ten-year-olds. Guys, you could proclaim Christ. Hey, at fellowship meal today, talk about Christ. He's so good. What are you declaring with the way you talk? What are you declaring about God with the way you play? What are you declaring about God with the way you spend your money? What are you declaring and proclaiming about God with the way you spend your time? Sometimes I just feel like chucking this thing as far as I can. It's like social media it can be so useful, but yet we have to be guarded. We have to proclaim to our family around us what is important, what is praiseworthy, what is true. And if we are always head down, buried in our phones, our kids are watching that. That's right. What are we declaring to them? What are we proclaiming to them? What kind of speech are we putting forth to them? So let us be louder in the nonsense of the world. Let us be loud in our standing against the immodesty of the age. Chris talked about it last week. I mean, you go out to a beach, you go out to a public pool, just bikinis all over the place. They're evangelizing. That's right. And, and we, have to, we have to evangelize the beauty of Christ and beauty is not showing your breasts and showing your skin. Beauty is a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so pleasing to God for you ladies. And beauty and, and attractiveness of, of men is a man who is able to protect his family and to protect his wife and his daughters by having them wear beautiful clothes, you know, to adorn your face. So, all right, now we get into the second uh, section here. This is about God's revelation or his testimony out of his written word, his law, his Torah, his instruction. So it says, the law of Yahweh, or the Lord, is perfect, reviving the soul. I, I thought it might be helpful to just really quick go over... Um, Guys, look at your Bibles real quick. The law of the Lord 
all, Lord is all capitalized, like small caps, they would call it. Why is it sometimes all capitalized like that? Well, it's something called the tetragrammaton, which means four letters. That's, that's what that word means, four letters. And it's, it's used for God's personal name. So when he, when he was before Moses in the burning bush, I am that I am. So in Hebrew, it, the, the written text of Hebrew only contained consonants. There was no vowels, apparently. And I, you know, so, so similar, again, Becky was teaching, is teaching me Greek, and there's a Greek alphabet. So alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon. Those are like, you know, we say A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. So in the Hebrew alphabet, it's the letters, I don't know how to say it the right way, but yad, he, wa, he. So it's, in English, Y-H-W-H are those four letters, right? Some argue that the, the yad or the, the Y should, should be a J, and, and some argue that the, the W, the, the Wa, it should be a V, and that's how we've gotten Jehovah in some cases. But the original Hebrews writer, writers, they didn't want their readers, they, they held God's name, his personal name, with such high esteem, they didn't want readers to actually pronounce it because they wanted to protect the people from misusing it. They, they, were, they were really good at putting all these parameters around uh, the obedience of the commandments of God. That's why they, they, they numbered the steps on the Sabbath. And it, let's, get the, let's get Jesus down from the cross because you know, Passover's coming, it's the Sabbath. They were highly legalistic about it. Um, so they didn't want the readers to pronounce God's name. They wanted to protect the misuse of it. Um, so they would instead insert the word Adonai, which is Lord. Um, then at a certain point in time, they inserted the vowels from Adonai into the tetragrammaton. So in that Y-H-W-H, they, they inserted some vowels from Adonai, and then now we got Yahweh. We, no one, at the end of the day, no one knows how to correctly pronounce this tetragrammaton. It, it's, it's our best guess. Uh, old, older translations were using Jehovah, and they chose to insert three vowels instead of two, um, and, and, and they thought it was a, a J and a V kind of sound instead of a Y and a W sound. But also I read that there, in the Hebrew language there actually wasn't the sound of a J. So that, that's why I think more modern scholars have uh, all consensed around Yahweh as maybe the most probable pronunciation. But, and the Legacy Standard Bible actually has it, Yahweh in there. So, so I thought that was helpful, especially maybe you younger ones when you're coming across um, the Old Testament and, and you see, why is it all large cap? Uh, or what, you know, it's, it's helpful to know this is the personal name of God here that they're using. But getting back to Psalm 19, the law of the Lord, or Yahweh, is perfect, reviving the soul. So that word perfect can be translated blameless, but it, it has to do with com completeness, right? The, the word of God is complete. Is it 2 Timothy 3.16, I believe? Let's just go there. 2 Timothy 3.16. Chris will have to teach me how to not have a dead silence going on when I'm looking for a passage. 2 Timothy, here we go, 3, 16. 
So all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's complete. It's perfect in what it does. So the law or the Torah, that's the word Torah, or the the doctrine or the instruction of the Lord, Yahweh is perfect. It's complete. Reviving the soul. And that word reviving, uh, some translations will say converting the soul. It all has to do, so, so the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, they chose a word that is uh, to turn, to turn back, or even sometimes it, it's translated convert, to be converted. And it's, it's all about uh, this kind of turning, turning back. So I think the ESV has done fine with reviving. When you think of revival, there's a turn happening. Um, but for, for the evangelist, like Wendell probably much more confer, uh, prefers convert here. So, but the law of the Lord is, is perfect and complete, converting the soul. While creation, in the first section, God's creative works, revealing himself and testifying to himself and his glory, makes it plain that there is God, that there is creator. We see this in Romans 1, right? It's made plain. They, they know, we know, there will be no excuse on the day of judgment. We know that there is God, right? So while, while that first section and the heavens declare the glory of God, his creative works uh, are making it plain and speak forth his, that he is only the truth in God's word can convert. So, so the people that are without knowledge of Christ in the gospel, that, that the Blowers and maybe others are going to these unreached nations, they have not heard the solution. They have not heard the gospel that can make them right with God. They've heard from the skies and the heavens that there is God. They know. If they never get over there and preach the gospel to them, they will stand before God on Judgment Day, and they will be without excuse because they know that God is. That's plain to them. But what they didn't know was the solution, how to get right with this God through Christ Jesus. And that is why we need to go out to all the nations, all the language groups, and make that known. Give them the solution. Give them the answer. Give them the way, the truth, and the life. So, the second section, again, is the, the revelation or the testimony of God's word. So, continuing on in verse 7. Uh, the testimony of the Lord Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. That word sure is dependable, to support, be faithful, made firm, lasting. I think of in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaching, and, and there's that sure foundation. You know, don't, don't build on the sand. Build on solid ground, the rock. And his word is sure. It's dependable. You can trust it. We must believe what God says over how we're feeling on something. Because his word is Sure, his testimony is sure. So he, he's testifying. Testimony means he's telling about. That's why, uh, you know, when you bear witness, you, you give testimony, you're, you're saying 
what you've seen and heard and touched and felt. You're, you're giving a testimony to it. You're, you're telling about something. That's, God is telling us through his word here that we are wicked and sinner, sin, sinful, that we are spiritual poor. We're in grave poverty. He's telling us that we are God-haters, that we're at enmity with God, the one who made us. Do we believe that when we are preaching and evangelizing and sharing the gospel with our fellow neighbor? We, we, Tiana and I know this friend from New York, and he's the nicest guy. He's, he's really nice, he's really, and he was really good with our kids. Um, such a sweet guy, great demeanor about himself. His, his, his little sister uh, has some type of disability. He's just so caring. He, he, he sacrifices, but he is in rejection to Christ. So while my mind, tainted mind, thinks, oh man, he's, he, he just needs Christ. He's so, he's so good. If only he had Jesus. No, no, he, he's not anywhere close, brethren. He is as far away as Hitler and as anyone else who has done wicked deeds. He, he's lifted himself as God against the Holy One who made him. And, and the, the good, righteous deeds that are, so, are apparent, seemingly apparent, are only declaring even more judgment on him because he's taking glory for them. That's disgusting and wicked. He, the Bible says, the testimony of God is sure. He is at enmity against God. He is an enemy. He's wicked. He is a sinner. We need to be realizing that as we proclaim the gospel of Christ. Nice people, kind people, people who do civil things, they are far off from God, just as we were. It says again in Colossians, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, we were darkness, but now we've become light. So the state of America, the state of North Korea, the state of any country that we see, we, we, we kind of say, there's no hope that this country's going down, or I mean, what does God's word say? He says, that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go now and let people know that. Herald it. America is looking pretty dire, but then what does God do? He overturns Roe. That's amazing. Praise God. <laughs> he is a good and gracious God. He, he loves to bring glory to himself because he is the best. He is the greatest Struggling with besetting sins in your life. What does God's word say? His testimony. What does he tell and bear witness to? He says, you are a new creation if you are in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. The new has come. Don't wallow in your sin, brothers and sisters. Are you struggling with lust? Are you struggling with greed, pride, bitterness? There's no way I can get out of this. There's no way I could stop looking at that thing. There's no way I can uh, act better in this area or lead my family better. Who are you believing? You're not believing God when you talk like that. 
You need to be believing the testimony of God, which is sure, it's dependable, it's trustworthy. So the testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise is simple. The word simple is a Hebrew word, pithi, which is foolish or simple or open-minded. So it's not necessarily utterly a bad thing. It's children is how it's translated in the New Testament. The Septuagint, again, that, that Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, they translate that word napos, which is infant or child or immature or Christian. And the Proverbs talk about the simple a lot. But the testimony of the Lord makes wise the simple. There's always good news in Christ. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts are what God has appointed to, to be done. What God has appointed to be done. That's what precepts are. They rejoice the heart. Again, with God overturning Roe recently, he appointed that to be done. And how much joy and gladness did that bring to our hearts? We wanted to go and just dance for him and shake the tambourine and sing and, and walk around downtown Clinton. It rejoices the heart of the believer. The commandment of the Lord Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's command opens our eyes to see our true state before a great, holy, and righteous God. Paul said, how would I have known but for the commandment, the law? Let us use this law to point us to Christ. It enlightens our eyes. The fear of Yahweh, the Lord, is clean, enduring forever. Sister Dai was telling me about uh, India and how they noticed just, it was dirty. It was really dirty. And there was no fear of God there. Where, where there is the fear of the Lord, there's going to be representation of who God is. Think of how God orders the stars in the sky, the heavens, and he, he sets boundaries for the oceans and the seas. He's an orderly God. And I have to say, I mean, I'm so grateful to God for brothers like Chris and Chad, Wendell. They, they've exhorted me and encouraged me to, to just order my days in a disciplined manner. I remember, it was about a year ago this time, I was really struggling with the sin of just fits of rage and anger and God used Chris Jones so powerfully. It was life-changing. Um, thank you, brother. He talked about scheduling. He talked about schedule your days. You have to have order and schedule in your days. And, and, and is, is just so orderly. It, it, it bugs me so much. It's like, come on, I just want to play some can jam. <laughs> no, I have to go home. <laughs> Kids got to get to bed. I need to get up early. I have an appointment with someone, the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> he doesn't actually talk like that. <laughs> so that was actually not even supposed to be in the sermon. Uh, but... <laughs> But the fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. God loves order. He loves cleanliness. But the word clean also carries with it this concept of pure. It, the fear of the Lord is pure. It's uh, without stain. 
you think of in First uh, John 1, 9 maybe, it, it says, uh, if, if, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, all impurities. Think of all the, the sin that is made up in our flesh. Through Christ Jesus and the, and the gospel, the good news is that Jesus Christ, who was without sin, yet he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. He, he does a full renovation job on us and cleanses us. And it's a work in progress, but he, he will have nothing but a pure and clean and beautiful bride. So the fear of the Lord is clean or pure, um, enduring forever. Hey, the, the, that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And how can we get anywhere with God without knowledge and wisdom? It starts with the fear of the Lord, brethren. So the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, the fear of God ushers us into knowing God. And, and this, this purity, this cleansing endures forever. It's not a temporary cleansing. What did, what did Peter say? Is like, you know, you need to bathe me, please. And he says, no, you, you are clean by the word that I've spoken to you. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So the rules, that, that sounds not too fun, right, children, young ones? Do you like it when mom and dad have all these rules for you? But the rules of the Lord are true. They're true and righteous altogether. They, these boundaries, these rules are there by a gracious heavenly God and Father so that we can live the abundant life. We have to have these rules so that we know how to properly live. I have this shed that's still not built and there, the, the uh, instruction manual is like 300 pages long. But <laughs> there's some people maybe that could try to build it without the instruction manual, but not me. We need to know the instruction of the Lord. We need to have rules in place or else we're gonna put things in the wrong place. Our, our, our lives will be disordered. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Verse 10. Do we realize how valuable the word of God is? What do we declare and proclaim and tell ourselves or tell our family, tell our children when we skip family worship or when we skip our own time with the Lord? or when we don't place the right value on what he's given us so graciously to know him by. How can a young man keep his way pure? By the scriptures, by knowing the Lord in his word. And, and here's the thing, it's, it's not just the print here, it's not the sentences and the words, unless the spirit of God is ministering his truth to the person it's just going to be words. An atheist can pick this up, a so-called atheist, but there's no truth unless the Lord is ministering that truth 
to the mind and the heart and the soul. So we don't, we don't come to the Bible in a purely academic way, merely academic. We go to the Bible, the scriptures, to seek God. It's his words. They are true and righteous altogether. We seek the Lord of the scriptures. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Not only are they so valuable and good for us, more so than gold, fine gold, but they are sweet. <laughs> they are, taste and see that the Lord is good, guys. They're sweeter than honey, also drippings of the, of the honeycomb. I mean, they bring so much pleasure and joy and satisfaction. We need to be in his word, seeking the Lord daily. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And moreover, verse 11, moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Our loving Heavenly Father graciously warns us of danger and offers us great reward in keeping his law. So it's a dual benefit, brethren. It's, he's, he's warning us of the pitfalls of life. Proverbs, Solomon is telling his sons, do not go by the way of the prostitute. Her way leads to death. Avoid it. We, we have to embrace God's commands, his rules. Therefore, our good and our enjoyment is great reward in them. Not just resulting from doing them, but in them. In the obeying of God's word. There's joy. So Matthew Henry says it well. God's word warns the wicked not to go on in his wicked way and warns the righteous not to turn from his good way. Let us heed the warning in Scripture. So we, we, we go through the first two sections. The first one is the creative works of God declaring or testifying about who he is, the glory of God. And then the second section his word, his written law, his instruction, his precepts, his testimonies, his rules are declaring more accurately, more specifically about God himself. Because you can look at the sun and see, wow, faithful God, faithful God. Every single morning the sun rises, he's faithful. And you can see the beauty of the reflection of the sun on the moon what that tells us. You see beautiful things about the birds of the air and the, the wildflowers of the field, but they won't tell you that you need Christ, you need to repent, you need to obey your parents, you need to dress modestly, you need to avoid sexual immorality. They won't give you all these specific instructions. and. Like we read in, in 2 Timothy 3, it, it gives us everything we need so that the man of God can be complete. So entering this third section here, who can discern his errors? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9 says. If, if we're 
trying to make our own judgments, our own discernment, it's so tainted by sinful flesh, brothers and sisters. I mean, we need the body of believers. God has ordained it. I think Chris said it a few weeks ago. Our fight against sin needs to be a corporate fight. We can't try to be alone fighting it. And that's why we need the precious brothers and sisters of Christ. I can't tell you how needed you guys are for my sanctification, my growth, my fight against sin, the salvation of my soul. We, we are saved, yet we are being saved, and we will be saved. And part of that we are being saved is you guys. I need all of you. I need Will. I need Philip. I need everyone here to be speaking. Rebuke me, guys. Correct me. Point out areas where you see immaturity. We, we need to be exhorted in good works, to good works and love. But who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. So presumptuous has to do with arrogant, proud way of sinning, high-handed. The psalmist asks to be forgiven for all kinds of sins, whether it's the hidden faults, the secret sins, or the arrogant and presumptuous. Now that word hidden, I think it probably means hidden to our consciousness. There, there's these sins that we aren't even aware of that we're doing. There's just idolatry and pride and greed and lust that's happening probably day to day that we don't even realize it's happening. The Lord has to bring to our attention uh, or brothers and sisters need to bring it to our attention. But I, I think there's also a sense of secret or hidden faults or sins that we, we just don't want people to know about. We don't want people to see. Again, what, what, are we, what are we declaring and proclaiming to others around us? Children, with that dessert table back there, I mean, there's some good desserts back there. But when you get up to that table, are you just so greedy and idolatrous of that dessert that you just want to take two or three? And we're not thinking about, oh, wow, there's all these people behind me. John, too, wants some dessert. Come on. <laughs> we have to be conscious of other people around us. I think Philippians says that, you know, look out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Amen. Right? What, what did Christ, what was Christ doing when he humbled himself and became obedient to the cross? He was not only thinking out for his own interest. There was interest of Christ for the joy set before him. He was purchasing a bride for himself. But he was also thinking of the interest of others. Right? So when, when us ladies, not us ladies. <laughs> that wasn't in the sermon. When, when y'all ladies are putting on makeup in the morning, it says, let them not have dominion over me. I think makeup is awesome, it's great, but do we, does it have dominion over you? Can you go one day where you don't have makeup on? Or is, is that sinful vanity crouching at the door and ready to say, no, 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 I will not, I will not go out of the house without makeup. I need to have it. Or Chris talks about coffee in the morning. Do we have to have that coffee? every single morning. morning. It, 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 
Are we relying and trusting on the coffee? Are we finding our joy and satisfaction in the coffee? Sometimes it's helpful. Get into some type of rhythm where you skip coffee once a week, once a month, whatever it is. You know, uh, don't put on your makeup once a decade or something like that. <laughs> kids, don't say, I told my kids, hey, every other week, you're not having dessert at fellowship meal. Just, let's learn self-control. It's not, it's not that desserts are, well, actually, they kind of are bad, but it, 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 it's, it's, not, it's not usually good for our, our stomachs. But it, it's good to practice self-discipline and self-control. That's why we need to be in, I think, a rhythm of fasting. Amen. We need to deny our flesh. So, then I shall be blameless. That's good news. So keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So listen to this. Declare me innocent. Keep back your servant. Let them not. Who's the actor in all this? It's our great and mighty God who's, who's mighty to save. He's the one who declares us innocent and keeps us back from presumptuous sins. He's the one that lets us not let them have dominion over us. He's the one that declares us to be blameless and innocent of great transgression. It is not our self-discipline or our willpower or our godly Bible time reading or our prayer. It, it is God and God alone through the means of grace to declare us righteous through Christ Jesus. The gospel in a nutshell is God does in his own glory and for his own glory what we cannot do in our corruption. We, we don't have it in us. All we have is sin. That's the only thing that we can produce in and of ourselves. Apart from me, you cannot do one thing. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to abide, be abiding in Christ. But the words of my mouth, and then listen to this at the end here. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. What a prayer to conclude. And what a request at the end of the psalm that God will let the meditation of our heart and our thoughts be pleasing unto him. Chris has exhorted us to establish a deeper prayer life, pursuing to go an hour long, seeking the face of God in prayer. Saints, let this request here in Psalm 19 be part of your prayers to God. Let us wake up in the morning saying, let the words of my mouth today and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. So these three sections, beginning with God's creative revelation and testimony to man, then his law, his word, as an even more detailed and exact revelation to mankind, then finally, after man has suppressed the knowledge of God, revealed plainly to him by his creation, and then rebelled against his law by transgressing it time and time again, God finally must be the one to declare us innocent and blameless by his final and most precious revelation, his son, 
Jesus Christ. So we have a beautiful order of Psalm 19. God's creation makes it known to all mankind that he is. And then he gives us his word. And that's why it's so important that we can translate this word to all language groups so they can have the more exact, specific instruction too. But it all is not going to be salvific unless Christ, by his spirit, God himself, reveals himself in his most precious son. I mean, Hebrews, the beginning of Hebrews, you know, talks about how, let's just go there real quick. Hebrews 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus Christ is the greatest revelation of God, Yahweh God. <laughs> and praise God that God chose to step down from his heavenly throne and take on flesh, man. And for those of you who do not know the Lord, maybe you think you know the Lord, but you don't know him in this way. Maybe you come to church. Maybe you read your Bible even, or read books about God, but you don't have the joy of the Lord in you. You don't hate your sin. You don't look at the sins of greed and of lust and of idolatry in your life. You, you don't hate them and abhor them. And you don't have these desires for Christ and to know him more, the one who made you. Guys, God made you he has ownership rights over you. That is why we must glorify and turn to him. Because he's the one that has all authority in heaven and on earth. Let us turn to him, forsaking all of our sins. Psalm, uh, Proverbs 19.3, I think it is, it says, If we conceal our sins, we do not prosper. But if we confess and renounce them, we will receive mercy. For those of you that are here today that have not experienced the mercy of God, God has, in his son Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, he suffered and died. He lived the, the righteous life. In thought and deed, he never sinned. And then he suffered and died, was spit on, and was hung on a cross. to pay the penalty of our sin. He took the wrath of God. God hates the wicked. He hates sin. His wrath must be poured out. He took on that wrath. I was telling little Stephen this morning, but God, Jesus Christ, he was without sin. If the wages of sin is death, Jesus never had any sin. Death could not hold him. Death had no hold on him. He defeated death. He defeated hell. He defeated Satan. And he rose victoriously from the grave. And we can thrust all of our hope on him and trust him. Please do that today. Today is a day of salvation. Call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let us go to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, so much for your salvation in Christ.
Thank you for your creation that bears so much witness to who you are, Lord. Let us look at the sunset and the starry skies. Let us look at all of your creative works and just bask in the glory of who you are, God. We thank you for your revelation that you are God, creator. And we thank you, Lord, for your word, your testimonies, your precepts, your rules, your commandment, your Torah. God, we thank you so much that we have so many translations here in the English language that we can seek you by and know you by. God, let the children be diligent in seeking you. Let us, fathers, be diligent in leading our families in your word. And Father, we thank you so much for the greatest revelation of who you are in your son, Jesus Christ who brings salvation to all who would trust in him. Lord, we thank you for this body. We ask that you would minister this word to each of us, Lord, as a body together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we were going to do baptisms. Now it's next week. So it's just a normal kind of Sunday where we're going to get into fellowship meal. So what we're going to do is... Uh, kind of try to push all the chairs aside so we can make room for the tables to be set out. Uh, so if, if some of the young future men want to help in doing that, we, that, would be, that would be great. And then uh, we're going to take communion or the Lord's Supper, the bread and, and the cup together as a body um, of believers as we enjoy that remembrance of, of Christ and what he did on the cross and also looking forward to the, the, the feast that we will enjoy with him, the wedding banquet, uh, where he will take it anew again. Um, so on the back of your bulletin, you'll see at the bottom a little section of if you're a visitor here, just make sure that A, you are in Christ, B, that you are a good standing member of a local church body, and then thirdly, that someone here can attest to that. So. Uh, in Jude chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Enjoy, guys. Thanks, Aniram. I love you, man. Thank you, brother.